Strange tiles that appeared throughout American streets for decades. The internet says it's true. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like I made it up, but is really true part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. This is episode 177. Welcome back for another new episode. This week, we're talking about a story I saw a long time ago. I've always wanted to talk about We'll also be talking with Eric Tate later in the show, so stay tuned for that. First up, make sure you're checking out that Patreon. It's the best way to stay connected with everything going on with the podcast. And a special welcome this week to new Tizitor Erica. Welcome, Erica. You can join for next to nothing. It's at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. I am once again asking for your financial support. Also... If you're someone who listens to us via the NPR One app, a special announcement. I know it's a it's a good chunk of people that listen on that NPR One app. Please know the NPR One app is being discontinued and all migrated to the new NPR app. So make sure you download the NPR app, and I've been assured that we will continue to be available there, but we'll see. Uh, I've also been told that Google Podcasts will be going away. Uh, thank you, Nick, for letting me know about that. But hardly anyone uses that to listen to the show, so I'm not as concerned. If you're one of those 2% of listeners that uses the Google Podcasts app to listen to, to hear us, I apologize. Hopefully you'll continue to subscribe on a new podcast client. Now, today's story is about a somewhat contemporary mystery, and it's something that started showing up in the late 1980s. So let's get on with it. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. <clears throat> let's get on with it. Toynbee idea in movie 2001, Resurrect Dead on Planet Jupiter. Those were the words that Bill O'Neill noticed in the roads around his neighborhood in Philadelphia. They were strangely arranged on a small tile or plaque inlaid in the asphalt. The small tile, around the size of an American license plate, would usually be bright colors like red, white, and blue, but sometimes just white or just red. And the words would change from tile to tile, but would always be centered around the same theme, and the lettering was exactly the same. The same letter shapes, the same tile material, the same themes. Nobody could tell Bill what they were, so he started a website to log them, Toynbee.net. Now, the website is long gone, but Toynbee.net helped sleuths all over the country, and even in South America, spot even more of these strange tiles and log them in their locations. So while that website is gone, the mystery still remained. Thanks to the Internet Archive, you can still view a lot of the work from Toynbee.net. But even without that, it's easy to find listings of Toynbee tiles around the Internet now. 4th Street and Sanson Street, 5th Street and Walnut Street, 7th Street and Chestnut, 11th Street and Oregon Avenue. The list of spotting these colorful inlays in the road were chronicled on the site and kept growing into the hundreds and then organized by city. Spotters would email sightings into Bill, who would add them to the list. You can even go back and see Bill's very first post about the tiles, including the text from an email that was dated 1996. He included a photo of the tile and typed, quote, I've seen this plaque embedded in road intersections all over Philadelphia and NYC, while others have reported seeing it in other states. What is it? What does it mean? For the tiles to appear throughout the U.S. and South America, with the same lettering, style, and themes before the era of internet virality suggests that they were being done or at least orchestrated by the same person. Let's talk about the themes on the tiles. The main text usually refers to the movie 2001. It says the movie 2001. 
which is a reference to Stanley Kubrick's 1968 film 2001 A Space Odyssey. We know this because in some of the tiles he calls out Kubrick by name. Instead of Movie 2001, they might say Kubrick's 2001. They also commonly referred to the name Toynbee or Toynbee Idea and the phrase Resurrect Dead or Resurrect Dead on Planet Jupiter. This seems like a crazy nonsensical ranting, and it kind of is, but it is referring to something. If you look up Toynbee, you'll see it's possibly a reference to Arnold J. Toynbee, who was this historian who was a scholar of international affairs and global politics in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. He wrote a book called Experiences, in which he has a very strange passage about the possibility of the human soul being separate from the human body and how that could lead to the idea of reanimating a dead body. Another theory about the meaning of Toynbee had to do with a Ray Bradbury sci-fi story called The Toynbee Connector, about colonizing Jupiter. Arthur Clarke had a play called Jupiter 5 about a mission to Jupiter, and the ship was called the Arnold Toynbee. And David Mamet, the playwright, has always believed that the tiles are alluding to his work 4AM, in which a character calls into a radio station talking about reanimating life on Jupiter. These works all sort of talk about the same ideas, but the leading theory is most likely referring to their source material, which is Toynbee himself. Another theme that appears in a lot of tiles is an extreme loathing of the media. They would sometimes refer to the, quote, ground bones of dead journalists, and there was one that instructs the viewer to, quote, murder every journalist, I beg you, end quote. It's thought that the creator of the tiles bought into a conspiracy theory that connected the press to world governments, the Soviets, and, of course, the Jews, because no conspiracy theory is complete without a dose of anti-Semitism. Sometimes the tiles would appear with smaller additions around them in smaller print, and those would be a little bit more unhinged and would sometimes contain instructions, such as telling people why they must make tiles or murder journalists. Whoever was creating these tiles was seemingly disturbed. Or was it just a piece of art meant to create that illusion? Whatever it was, by the mid-90s, they had caught the attention of news stations. A call to resurrect the dead is going on in Chicago. It's right there for everyone to see, but most people either don't get it or don't even notice it. Well, CBS News' Rafael Romo reports artists or pranksters have been sticking these plaques on roadways in other places around the globe for years now. After the break, we'll talk about the identity of the mystery Tyler. And be sure to listen to the first ad from a brand new sponsor. This episode of The Internet Says It's True is brought to you by Wild Gallery. Wild Gallery is a breathtaking art gallery in Austin, Texas. Isn't Austin just the coolest? But you don't have to travel to Texas to grab one of their pieces for your home. When you go to Wild Gallery online, you'll see that everything they sell is a spellbinding original piece of real Native American art, exploring the heritage, culture, and traditions from Native American artists. When you go check out their website at wild.gallery, that's wild, W-Y-L-D, you'll see their fantastic display of art at all levels, whether you're an experienced art collector or someone just looking for a piece to spruce up that blank wall in your home. You can search by price, by size, by artist, even by tribe. Once again, check them out at their online store and you'll see what I mean. Real Native American artists on display. Go to wild.gallery, that's W-Y-L-D.gallery today, or just click the deals link in the show notes. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. 
You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing bombs, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to the internet says it's true.com slash deals for the link. For years, people collecting reports of Toynbee tiles had no real leads on who had created them. The only clues were the frequency of the tile locations, and that wasn't helping much. No one had come forward to claim credit. When I first heard this story, my first question was, how in the heck is someone getting a tile into an asphalt road that's already been laid? Like, if you tasked me with inlaying something into a road, I wouldn't know where to begin. I would assume I'd have to chip away at the road to create some space or have some sort of industrial strength adhesive or something. But people who have studied these tiles have likely figured out how they were created and installed. The tiles were at first suspected by Bill O'Neill to be made out of some sort of thick metal. But then one of his emailers suggested that they were some sort of plastic that was baked into the street or perhaps stenciled on with a thick plastic-like paint. One Toynbee tile enthusiast finally thinks he solved this mystery. His name is Justin Durer, and he's responsible for spreading the word about the tiles more than just about anyone else alive. Justin Durer and filmmaker John Foy created the documentary Resurrect Dead, The Mystery of the Toynbee Tiles in 2011. And let me just tell you, it is one of the most intriguing documentaries I've ever seen, and I love documentaries. Foy followed Justin around for years along with fellow researchers Colin Smith and Steve Wynick, trying to solve this mystery, and it actually led them to some interesting conclusions. First of all, the material and deployment we just mentioned. At one point, Dewar came across a tile that hadn't finished being installed. It was wrapped in tar paper and stuck down onto a street in the early morning. It's Dewar's belief that the creator places these tiles down and allows busy traffic to sort of adhere them to the ground, and then the paper apparently wears away over time and reveals the tiles. He also has done more work than anyone, save for possibly Bill O'Neill and Toynbee.net, to try to solve the mystery of who put them there. One of the clues that Dewar talks about is a strange incident in which the residents of a Philadelphia neighborhood reported hearing an interruption to their radio stations. The theory is that it was a local shortwave or ham radio operator overtaking their signals, and this person would spout crazy theories about, get this, Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey railing against the media and talking about resurrecting bodies on Jupiter. All of the same themes found in the tiles. And... To be able to do that, to hijack a radio signal, a person would have to be nearby. Another clue comes from that same neighborhood. 
In the streets near where the radio signal was heard there in South Philadelphia, people were reporting what they called prototype tiles, bits and pieces of Toynbee tile-like material, almost like the materials and deployment methods were being tested out. Perhaps one of the largest clues came from a series of call-in radio shows and newspapers. In 1983, a person named James Morasco called into radio shows and wrote opinion pieces in the classified section of newspapers around Philadelphia about this Toynbee idea of the soul and body being separate and sending dead bodies to Jupiter to become reanimated. He claimed to be the head of an organization called the Minority Association. When he would call in to journalists on the radio, he would often be laughed at and treated like a crazy person. There was a James Morasco in Philly, but it wasn't him, according to his wife. He was an old man at the time and didn't know anything about creating tiles. He had died in 2003 at the age of 88. The theory that Justin Dewar came up with was that James Morasco was an alias. One possible name that could be connected with the tiles was someone in South Philly known as Railroad Joe. An address found on the back of one of the tiles was his. His real name was Julius Priori. Railroad Joe died in 1987. Most of the tiles appeared after that. But the new resident of the home was the man that Justin Dewar believes is the one behind the tiles. He believes the creator to be a man named Severino Verna, known to his friends by the name Sevi. Verna was a reclusive Philadelphia resident, and the shortwave radio signals and test tiles all were centered around where he lived, Railroad Joe's old house. Sevi was known by many as the Birdman. He loved birds his whole life. And there's a disturbing story about Sevi's childhood. He would take pigeons that had died, cover them in cement, and put them into a bucket with the hopes of resurrecting them. His parents owned a funeral home, and it's believed that Sevi was obsessed with death and resurrection. Dewar and his fellow researchers believe in their hearts that Verna is the Tyler. Verna has denied having anything to do with the tiles, and his family also claims to have no knowledge of his creating the tiles. The most intriguing clue for me that points toward Verna is the way the tiles are deployed. How was he getting these into the busy streets without being seen? Well, get this. Verna drove a beat-up old car. The passenger seat of the car had no floorboards. You could see through to the street below. It's thought that this is how he would get the linoleum tiles wrapped in tar paper onto the street. But again, no one has ever definitively solved this mystery. And no one knows how they showed up not only in Philadelphia, but Boston, Kansas City, Utah, even some cities in South America like Rio de Janeiro, Santiago, Chile, and Buenos Aires. Could it be that the Tyler was a ham radio enthusiast who connected with other people about his theories? Did he mail them their own tiles to install? Sadly, this is just a mystery we really don't know. Most tiles only last a few weeks before either being worn away or removed completely by the city. The most recent tile was in 2016 in Philadelphia. Some cities like Chicago consider the tiles graffiti and will remove them if found. Meanwhile, Philadelphia's Streets Department has recognized their significance to the public as this mystery, and they've promised to save a few as long as they can easily be removed in the future. So did Birdman Sevi Verna create the tiles? I'm convinced, but who knows? What we do know is this is just this enigma that's captivated people for more than 30 years. The internet says it's true.
It's time for Yap Yap with me and a friend. Today I'm calling Eric Tate. Eric is an international champion of magic. He has a literal college degree in comedy, and he's also host of the Penguin Magic Podcast, which is one of the most popular magic-themed podcasts out there. I know a lot of you aren't magicians. We'll we'll try not to get too much into the weeds about magic. Uh, maybe we will, and if we do that, we'll we'll include you. What's going on, Mr. Tate? Good morning, Mr. Kent. How are you? I'm I'm good. This is probably the earliest I've ever recorded a podcast. We're uh, we're doing this, and it's like eight thirty in the morning. It's not crazy early, but it is. It is eight thirty in the morning because I have to take my dog to the vet. But I'm also uh, I love media attention, so I was like, <laughs> let's do both. Well, we'll talk about you in a minute, but let's talk about your dog. What's is everything okay? Oh yeah, it's fine. Just like normal vaccines, it's just like because I'm a responsible pet owner, so I take him to get his little little shots and his little tiny booty. And uh, you're not an you know, anti. You're not a dog anti-vaxxer. I'm not a dog anti-vaxxer. Um, my, I mean, he definitely has all kinds of anxiety and emotional issues, but it's not related to the vaccines. It's just because he's a Chihuahua. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That's yeah. So no, everything that's is just everything baked is baked into Chihuahuas, I guess. Yes. I uh, have a Yorkie, so I totally sympathize with that. Oh, yeah. Tiny, shaky, majestic hair. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, let's get into uh, this week's quiz, and then we'll chat with you in a moment. Um, And for this first question, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you got to tell me a joke. If you get it right, I will tell you a joke. Okay. Here is your question. The Toynbee Tiles describes what mystery? A, strange messages inlaid into public roads in major cities. B, Glazed tiles used to floor ancient Greek ruins that predate known methods for manufacturing them, or C, obscene plastic tiles showing up on walls of KB toy stores throughout the country in the 90s. What was the, uh, what was the name of these tiles again? Toynbee. Toynbee tiles. It's T O Y N B E E. I'm going to go with the obscene KB toy thing. The answer. Strange messages inlaid into public roads in major oh. cities. Well, so, I was gotten wrong because I was like, it sounds like a Greek thing, but yeah, uh, is this yeah. the first question I've ever gotten wrong on this thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. But um, this is something I, I've. I was curious when I was writing this episode how many people were have seen this, and the only reason I know I knew about it is because there was a documentary uh, about a decade ago called Resurrect Dead, the mystery of the Toynbee tiles. Okay. So these things are like the size of like maybe like a, a foot by eight inches or something like that, about the size of a license plate. And mm-hmm. they're literally like inlaid into the asphalt. And they first started showing up or first started being recorded in, in Philadelphia. And they would appear and then they'd be gone after like a couple of weeks. But they looked like the, the, the road layers laid them there. And they all had the same crazy themes they would talk about um stanley kubrick's 2001 space odyssey mm-hmm. they would talk about this name toynbee mm-hmm. um who was a guy who had this harebrained idea to like send our dead people to jupiter to resurrect them Love so some it. of them will say toynbee's idea jupiter dead and then some of them would rail against the media and say that we should like off people in the media um and so they don't they love get that. Crazy. But the, no, no. But the crazy part is like same. I don't know if you would call it a font, but same style. The letters were the exact same. Um, the themes were the same. The colors were the same. And they started showing up in like all kinds of different cities around the same time. Even some in, uh, I think, Brazil, like in somewhere in South America. And 
to this day, no one has come forward and claimed credit. The, the documentary does talk about this dude nicknamed the Birdman who they think did it all. And the way that they think he did it, and this is nuts, is his car didn't have a floorboard on the passenger side. So they think he Love was it. just driving and dropping these things. And they were on some sort of tar paper that when it, the tar paper would wear away, it would look like this thing was inlaid into the ground. But they were sort of like a linoleum tile. Very, very strange story. That is a very strange story. I do like the idea of like a Banksy who is really good at road repair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Road repair Banksy. Yes, road repair be Banksy. It would amazing if Banksy came forward and said he did the Toynbee tiles because these started oh, in like, they think the late 80s or maybe early ba 90s. Banksy has always been. Banksy is an idea, oh. not a, <laughs> I not a person. I thought that sentence. I didn't know that no. Ben was the, uh, gotcha. No. <laughs> that's it. No, just Banksy has always existed. So as, as far as I'm concerned, that's just the way it is. I thought that Ben so. was a modifying ver verb in your sentence, not the verb no, itself. No, no, uh, Actually, Banksy has, is, Banksy is sort of like a primordial force. A lot yeah. of like a lot of people think it's an artist, but it's actually a primordial force. Yeah. You've ever seen, you've seen cave paintings, right? Yes. Yeah. Those are Banksy. Banksy. Early yeah. Banksy's worth a ton. Um, mm -hmm. Let's. Oh, do you have a joke? Oh, um, can, um, I, can I? I'm going to send you one that my wife told me yesterday. What do you call a whale without undies? What do you call a whale without undies? Free Willy. Free Willy. <laughs> can I tell you? She told me that joke at seven in the morning yesterday, and my wife is not a morning person. She does grounds not. for divorce. I actually was thrilled. Uh, I don't know why that joke caught me just right. You know, sometimes like you get surprised by a joke. And I think it was the context, the fact that she was telling me a joke when normally it's like a, why are you talking to me? Seven in the morning situation. And she told me that joke when I came into the bedroom from taking the dogs out. And I, I just busted out laughing forever. I thought it was the funniest thing. So free Willie. Okay. I, I will gift you a bonus joke since okay. I just remembered one from, uh, from when Garrison Keeler used to host, uh, mm -hmm. Prairie Home Companion and they had the annual joke show. So this is, this is not mine. This is from my youth. Gotcha. I think I was like in middle school when I heard this. Um, You're just a middle schooler listening to Prairie Home Companion. I love that. Yes. That, I think that explains a lot about who I am. Um, <laughs> I love so it. this, uh, this French guy, I mean like super French, he's got like a handlebar mustache a uh, red neckerchief, black and white striped shirt, uh, and a beret. Uh, and uh, I mean, he's just like exceedingly French, like offensively French. Um, and he has a frog on his head and he walks into a bar and the bartender's like, uh, hey, man, you got something on you. And the frog looks at the bartender and goes, I know it started as a bump on my ass yesterday. <laughs> it's a Garrison Keeler joke. It's a Solid. Garrison Keeler joke right there. That's great. That's great. All right, question uh, two. Question two. For this question, we're going to play for an admission of the worst thing we've ever created, written or performed or otherwise. Any can sort do. of creation that you can think of. And it doesn't have to be the worst thing. It can be something that you tried that didn't work or that didn't mm -hmm. you know, continue. Where was the first concrete paved street in America? Was it A, Ooh. Boston, Massachusetts, B, Roanoke, North Carolina, or C, Bellefontaine, Ohio? It's Bellefontaine, Ohio. It is Bellefontaine, Ohio. Yeah. The Court Avenue block in Bellefontaine was laid in 1891. Yeah. It's, that's one of those like facts where you're just like, 
you always expect it to be like Boston or New York because those cities are old, but like the roads were so used and they had to like really plan the city. Yeah. Um, and even like Boston is like kind of a planned city, but not really. It's just sort of like the roads are like the reason the roads in Boston are weird is because it's sort of wherever like the horses and carts would just like go where like nobody had built a building yet. Um, and so it was it you had the when they did start paving roads, they started in like more planned cities than than others. Yeah, this dude um, who brought it to Bell Fountain, I guess, had learned about it in Europe. And he, you know, came back and said, let's do this here. Um, you know what I also found out that I had not heard? Bell Fountain's home to the shortest street in America. McKinley really? Street, which is only 20 feet long. Now, I'm a map or a maps, a Google Maps junkie. I love if I tracks. listen to a podcast and uh, I'm like, they mentioned a location. I get on Google Maps and I want to see where they're talking about. And I look at the satellite and then I look at the street view. This McKinley Street, which is only 20 feet in Bell Fountain, Ohio. Mm-hmm. The strange thing about it is like there's a V of two streets and and McKinley Street sort of goes between the bottom of the V. So it mm-hmm. looks kind of like a turnaround. It doesn't even really look like a street, but there has to be an address on it, which is why it would be a street. So that someone, whoever lives on that corner must have their mailbox right on that turnaround. Oh, Kind of a dumb, I mean, I don't know. I, I like- don't know what I expected, but. It's like a street by default is yeah. what it is, which is my favorite way to win stuff is by default. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's almost like if someone just somehow got their driveway registered as a street and called it. I love. Know, I OK, I'm here for McKinley. McKinley Street. I'm going on the record right now is McKinley Street is my favorite street in the United States. All of, That's, in uh, all of the, the, the U.S. In all of the continental United States. Uh, okay. I haven't. So there might I have some... not. There might be something in Hawaii or Alaska or perhaps American Samoa or Puerto Rico because they're Americans too. Puerto Rico, not Puerto Rico. That's not that's not a place. <laughs> you feminized um, the entire country. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm just I'm just going to go on the record as the continental United States. McKinley Street is my favorite street in the continental United States. You heard States. it here, that's folks. A, that's you heard a, it here, that's folks. A, the international that's magic internet champion says true has fact. a favorite street. Yes. Um, what's what's new for you with with your career and with magic and everything? Anything exciting happening lately? Oh, lots of exciting things. I uh, as we are recording this, I just got back from a theater run in San Diego. Um, I was uh, I was at Mystique Dining and the Prestige. Uh, I am about to head to Europe for two for three weeks. Wow. Um, so two weeks of that is vacation. My partner and I, uh, we were not able to do any vacations last year due to a series of unfortunate events. It was mm-hmm. like last year was like a lemony snicket novel for us. <laughs> yeah. And um, and we would like like we had vacation plans with it got canceled like the day before oh, uh, on some course. occasions. That's rough. Um, and so we so I'm going to the Blackpool Magic Convention, um, okay. which is what I go every year. And so we decided to wrap two weeks of vacation before Blackpool. So I'm going to have a nice relaxing time in like the South of Spain and the South of France. We're oh, going to go to Paris. I want to go see uh, Robert Houdin uh, stuff. Okay. And then, uh, and then I go to Blackpool and, uh, and I get to go be near the angry Irish sea and, uh, and she gets to come home to our dogs. Yeah. Uh, so I will, my dogs will think that I've d- died in That's that exciting. time. I'm assuming. I've heard mixed uh, reactions and- about Blackpool, the city, not the, the, I, I've always heard that the, the convention is wonderful, but the, the convention's Im- the convention's amazing, and uh, nothing against Blackpool, the city. But have you ever been to Pigeon Forge? Yeah, <laughs> yes. it's like somebody abandoned Pigeon Forge next to the Irish Sea. That's <laughs> like the that's the only way I can describe it to Americans is that it's like it's it's this strange working class tourist seaside town that 
uh, is like mainly used for conventions and is it's very dreary in February when this convention is. It's very cold. Uh, and uh, but the people are lovely. Um, and uh, and it's just like you're just kind of all in it together. Um, but like 5000 magicians descend on the city for four days. It's insane. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, and then in March, I'll be in Nashville at House of Cards. Oh, cool. Never been there. Yeah. Um, oh, I, man. I, I heard it's, it's very cool. so much. It's so much fun. Um, I love doing House of Cards. So uh, we'll be doing that. And then uh, other than that, just shows at the P3 Theater and continuing to work on Penguin. Uh, and uh, I get to start teasing an upcoming magic release soon, um, which I know your listeners won't care about, but magicians will care about. So yeah, so, so it's kind of fun. So I'm sure I'll see it. For that. I'm sure I'll see yeah. it. Uh, okay. Question three. For this question, we're going to play for a sticker, Eric. Which artist said the following quote? My art is a celebration of vandalism. It's about justice. If you've ever fallen foul of the justice system, then it turns you very skeptical about everything. So I guess I like to turn it on its head a little bit. I'm into working out who really are the good guys. Was that A, Shepard Fairey, B, Banksy, or C, Lady Pink? When you say Lady Pink, are we referring to... The the artist Pink, the singer, no, with the hair who does no, the aerial different stuff. Different Lady Pink. Um, this okay. this is a uh, street artist. Okay, because I'm ninety percent certain I had lunch next to Pink in December when I was in California, but I oh. don't actually know. Um, Interesting. I can it, see her if it, being the type of person that you might not recognize in in everyday life because if she's if it not made wasn't up, Pink. Yeah. If it wasn't pink, it was a woman who looks so much like her and is doing absolutely nothing to dissuade the image similarities. Oh, she, she was playing into it. Yeah, uh, oh, okay. maybe. I, I don't know. Um, as far as the question goes, uh, I want to say it was Shepard Fairey. Shepard um, Fairey? Because I, I used to live underneath a Shepard Fairey mural in Los Angeles, and oh. I'm 80% sure that I met him at a party once. Uh, because uh, I used to hang out with a bunch of like visual artists in Los Angeles. So I think it's Shepherd Fairy. The answer it was Banksy. It was the obvious one. Banksy. Uh, okay, fine. All right. Uh and it was the that last sentence I felt that gave it away. I'm into working out who really are the good guys. And I guess you could say Shepherd Fairy kind of worked with this theme a lot too. But Banksy, yeah, I mean, a lot of Sherpid Fairy's uh, work is very politically motivated. It is, and it's and it's very like you know um, anti-system type type stuff. Yeah. Um, the Banksy pieces that I think of are the ones where it's like they involve police, you know, and that mm-hmm. type of thing. So, um, okay, that's that's fair. Damn, Eric, this is the worst you've done on the podcast ever. You're you're two for three right now, or you're one for three right now. I don't know if I can have oh. you on again. I that yeah I mean like I think I've been I've been like really good I've never earned a sticker even though I think I've gotten the sticker questions correct <laughs> I've never received the sticker I just like want to say I also I, for the record I was on and won a round of wait wait don't tell me never got my uh never got my, my uh audio recording for my my answering machine so I'm just going the record as saying like being disappointed by game show hosts is right in my wheelhouse. Okay, well, that makes me feel a little bit better about the sticker. Uh, <laughs> because, I don't I'm, think you have stickers. I I'm do, gonna, I, I it's do. a sham. I have, I have, I have, I you have, have one sticker. You have <laughs> one sticker. I could just have, I printed this, I printed this out this morning. Um, yes. No, and, and honestly, I, I'll, I'll fill in for Bill Curtis if you need me to do your, your voicemail. <laughs> um, if you need me to just, you know, 
Hello? Easily impersonatable uh, anchorman yeah. Bill Curtis here. Bill Curtis. Yeah, I could I could maybe maybe do a Bill Curtis. Uh, question okay. four. We're going to play for an admission of the best thing that's happened to us this week. Okay. So something this week. Mm-hmm. Here's your question. Asphalt is made out of crushed stone, gravel, sand, and a material that was once used to make mummies. Which one of these materials is made uh, is is used to make asphalt and was used to make mummies? A molasses, B uh-huh. rubber, C bitumen. I mean, mummies are a bit human. Am I right? Boom, 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 Hey-o! boom, boom. Um, mo- I don't think it's molasses because I think molasses is unique to North America. Uh, I believe that, like, it can't be called molasses unless it's from, like, a specific region or tree. Otherwise, it's just sparkling tree sap. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you were going to say tar because I know tar was used in the. Um, process of making mummies and so the, the i'm gonna give is, you a hint one of what? these items can also be called tar it's bitumen then it is bitumen that that yeah. hint gave it away huh yeah. um yeah i couldn't I remember an... exactly what bitumen was but i was yeah. i was like what because i think tar is like a complex series of chemicals yeah it, it i think yeah there's there's probably some sort of chemical makeup that it's kind of like molasses where it has to be this or else it's not tar bitumen uh i did an entire episode about this because when they when they dug up mummies and they had the they they had this false belief that eating the mummy skin was like medicinal so they were grinding up parts of the mummies and the the bitumen that was that was um occurring in these mummies they were grinding up and like eating it (laughs) yeah the victorian era was weird yeah yeah, I mean, they're just trying stuff. Might, yeah. might might work, might not. We see. It seems like it works. So, yeah, that that was a, a fun episode. Go back and listen to that one. Uh, and and the the way that we posed it, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but it's kind of the the popular way to talk about that is this is the reason there aren't more mummies because the Victorians <laughs> ate them all. Yes, <laughs> which is like one of my favorite facts from the Victorian era is that they were just like this is. You know, I mean, like this isn't this isn't cannibalism because we're doing it the same way we do cocaine. Um, <laughs> right? It's not eating someone if you're sniffing them. Yeah. Oh man. Well, uh, you're you're two for two for four. You're you're batting five hundred here, and so okay. this is the question. The final question tips it in one direction or the other. Oh wait, did we do our um, the best thing that's happened to us this week? I have to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I had a shitty week, man. I, it's tough for me to say anything yeah. great that happened um, other than this week I was motivated to get my Oculus Quest back out, which is now I guess you would call medical. I don't know if they renamed yeah. it. Can you go back and, and change the name of a product that's already come out? Everyone has MetaQuest 3. I have Oculus Quest 2. So I do too. It's right over there. And I put it over there so that I would get it out and play with it more because I do yeah. genuinely enjoy it. I do too. And I forget about it. Um, yes. I, I put it away and then like I'll get on my switch or I'll get, you know, I've been mm-hmm. doing crossword puzzles a lot because it relaxes yeah. me, but like literally like pencil and book crossword puzzles. Um, but no, the thing on Quest that I've really enjoyed this week and it, I can hear myself saying that the best thing that happened to me was playing a video game. And this is kind of, you know, but it was one of those weeks. It was just a rough week. Um, Yeah. The uh, it's called puzzling places. It's a 3d 
I, I think I might, I might have talked about this last week on the show with Eric Diddleman, um, because I know he has a quest as well. But we puzzling places is a um, 3D puzzle, like jigsaw puzzle. So yeah. it's incredibly um, fulfilling to grab pieces out of the air and snap yes. them together. And they make a very, you know, a very satisfying snapping sound. And then, you know, you can have these thousand piece puzzles that might take me a week to actually get done. The thing I don't like about the quest is that I, it is not good for my ADHD because it locks me into a very singular universe. Yeah. I, uh, I really like there's a I play super hot on there. I love that game. It's the one where you're like dodging bullets and stuff. It's really oh. fascinating. Like time only advances forward as you move. Um, and so you're like fighting. So it's a really interesting uh, mechanic. Uh, but then my ultimate favorite game on there is uh, uh, Star Wars Pinball because it gives me like my own private man cave full of Star Wars figurines that my partner can't yell at me to put away. Um, <laughs> I like that. Ooh, yeah. that that makes me think they should do like that's kind of like the puzzling places thing as well. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle you don't have to find a table for. Exactly. Um, it would be great uh, to do like Star Wars or I mean, um, Quest Lego would be really great. That would be fun. Yeah, I mean, where you? Can... I will tell you the dumbest thing that I've ever played on Quest. What's that? Is Settlers of Catan because oh. you get it and you're like, oh, you know what? This is gonna be great because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Settlers of Catan. It's gonna be fun, but it's VR, so I'm gonna be like building stuff. No, you're just sitting at a table playing Settlers of Catan. Yeah, minus the like beers and friends. Um, yeah, it's just like it's just like this is infinitely more difficult to play than the real one. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh... That's really interesting. I, I have come to prefer the ones where I can just play it sitting down, which mm -hmm. is the lethargy that explains the, the age of 45, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like to sit down and play it on the couch. And, I, you know, so that's why I haven't played a lot of the like moving around games lately. OK, I like, let's I, I like never mind. Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, just, we can go just ahead, sit and ahead. talk about quest games forever. Yeah. Question five is for all the marbles. So if you get it right, mm -hmm. you're welcome back on the show. If you get it wrong, cut off. Never again, Eric. OK. What are you most looking forward to in 2024 other than your upcoming trip to Europe? Ooh. Um, so uh, that is, that's difficult because there's a lot of things that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I recently got into like 3D printing in like a serious way so that I'm like, I'm modeling stuff for my show and like learning to use Fusion 360. And I've designed three different things and printed them for my show that have made like you couldn't tell in the show that right. this is existing, but it makes my quality of life infinitely better. And I'm just like so excited every time I do something like that. That's a winner um, answer. And it answers yeah. a question I was going to ask you once we we're off the air, which is yeah. um, I need something for my show to be 3D printed, but it hasn't been designed. And so. I haven't I've sort of conceptualized it, but that's it. So I maybe I can help. I don't know. Um, I, I, but I, like, we'll have to chat about it. It's been fun. Yeah, I'll pay. I'll pay you for it. So I mean, um, I'd like money. <laughs> that's good. Because all you're getting is a sticker. Actually, I, you didn't win a sticker this week, but <laughs> but I apparently I, I owe you stickers. So if I see you this weekend sometime, I'll have stickers with me. I, uh, I think there's a significant chance that we might be like wandering around the same venue in yes. the next absolutely so 18 like, to 20 hours <laughs> this uh th this podcast was you went three for five this time which is a, yeah. is above 500 it's winning but okay. uh maybe your worst performance ever eric how do you feel about that i 
feel like a real old diddleman right now. It's, oh, just, oh, 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 I, I, I have to look at how diddleman did last week. I think he uh, he may have done four for five, but I'm not uh, I'm not positive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just like you just verbed diddleman. That was great. Actually, you didn't. But um, everyone go check out Eric Tate online. He can be found at Eric Tate dot com. Yeah, Eric Tate dot com. Uh, it's it's um, Eric with a K. Eric Tate on. Yeah, E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. I'm at Eric Tate on all the social medias, except I have a new Instagram handle. I got a secondary Instagram handle, uh, and it is, uh, you have to tell me if you're a cop. <laughs> so it's just, it's just at, you have to tell me if you're a cop, like Y-O-U-R-E. Um, and it just goes to a secondary Eric Tate account that I don't do anything with. I just was very pleased that that was available. So and that's it's a good at Eric to... Tate is my main one, but at, uh, but at, you have to tell me if you're a cop. Uh, if I <laughs> that's a great one to comment on other accounts with. Um, yes. And, and you can be creative about the accounts and the posts that you're commenting on with that. Uh, that's pretty great. I love it. You can also find Eric at historical porpoises dot com, I believe. Uh, is yes, that, still that a is thing? just a that's just a website that a I point URL. towards various things, depending <laughs> on what I'm I'm doing. Uh, sometimes it goes to my Twitch that I haven't streamed on in a while. OK, sometimes it goes to my website. I don't know. But I own historical porpoises dot com, which, which is, is the point. Intensely pleasing. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. I uh, I have so many vanity URLs that I own that I don't do anything with other than exactly that. I just point them toward whatever it is like I own. My, you know, my main website is Michael Kent Live. But I was like, well, I might as well register Michael Kent dead. So I did that. So I own both just in case you're curious. Um, and you I know, own top 10 Columbus comedians and top 10 Columbus magicians. They point really? nowhere. <laughs> they point nowhere. But there there were too many. There were too many local performers who were very upset about one of those local like, you know, like local rag lists. And yeah. so I was just like, well, I'm just going to get this and point it at my own website. Yeah. So every year the comedy uh, Facebook groups go nuts from those lists because yeah. like, you know, it'll be why doesn't this include, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's always yeah. different every year. So and and generally I know like two of the 10 because I'm not really in the comedy scene, but I'm sort of tertiarily yeah. connected. So I usually know like a few of them. So and it's like this is going to make me sound really selfish, but um. I'm fine not being on the list because I know what what I paid in taxes last year on performing, and, uh, and so it's kind like of, I don't, I'm not I'm not really interested in fighting anymore. It's kind of how I feel about like the like local gigs in general because it's really hard to get you know money locally uh, doing yeah. gigs, and you kind of have to yeah. travel for it for it if you're not in a touristy city, which we're not. And no one's uh, a hero in their own backyard. It's it's true, and I was talking about this yesterday, uh, you know, with with a person and. They were like, what's, you know, is there a niche for your type of art in Columbus? And I was like, there is. There's just not a ton of money associated with it because yeah. there really can't be, except for private events. There really can't be because uh, there aren't enough people coming through to do quality, polished material <laughs> for every audience. It's yeah. just too difficult. Um, so, but that said, theaters like Shadowbox Live would mm. would disprove that point because they are doing well they do five di shows five different shows at a time and yeah know, so there it's are a, multiple things you can see it's a very different thing like i think if you're like you know we run the p3 magic theater and we do pretty well but we have a very different business model than most other theaters um and access to different kinds of talent than most other theaters but if you're looking at like some of the theaters that i play around the country like yeah they're in cities that have got like a pretty high volume of tourist traffic yeah yeah 
All right, man. Hey, it's been awesome having you back on. I'm glad that you could make time for it. And uh, you can hear me on an upcoming Penguin Magic podcast. Go check that out. Even if your favorite historical facts host isn't on it, go listen. It's it's called the Penguin Magic podcast. It might give you a little bit of an insight into the world of us weird wizards. Uh, Thanks for being on, man. Thank you. That is all for this week. Thank you so much to Eric Tate for being my guest, and thanks to you for listening. Here's the voice of the real Banksy. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Joshua Endress, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Kemplin, and the show's official emperor, KickTrack. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and all audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent.